Hello listeners, this is your host Lara. Thank you for tuning in. This is part two of my conversation with Chief Louisa Libby. If you have not listened to part one, please go back and do so. This picks up directly where we left off at the end of part one. And remember, while we don't get graphic, there is a content warning. So I'll let you uh, keep going wherever you were going. Um, no, I think that that's a lot of who Quindara is. Quindara was a, um, it was a booming town up until, I want to say, around, um, well, in the 1960s when they did the big um, um, mapping of where the new highway was going to go, like for 635. Mm-hmm. Well, it went right through Pandero because it's a depressed area. And that's pretty much, um, well, it wasn't a depressed area until the highway went through. And I don't know. To me, I see that um, a lot in any of the towns, especially um, where, um, like, they went through and they destroyed basically um an entire community that that lived there and had a successful town and they put the highway through there. Well, then after that, Quindaro started kind of going downhill with crime and things. It, it destroyed, it destroyed that town just because of the infrastructure coming through. They, they didn't skirt it through, um, another area they went through um they went through the black community for lack of a a better term no actually this is something that um i just talked about with andrew gustafson from the johnson county museum at their uh, redlining exhibit they have a bit about the creation of the highways and how it destroyed these communities yes and it's terrible. It's like, if you think of, this is kind of similar, but it's off topic. You think of Standing Rock up north, and they wanted the pipeline to go through. Well, the pipeline... It's exactly like that. <laughs> Pardon me? I said, oh, yeah, it's exactly like that. You're spot on. Yeah. So, because the town, um, I forget, the big town there, that the city... They didn't want it to go through there or by there. So what do they do? Oh, we can put it through the reservation. Um, and they had then they had all this um, support from from people to try to fight that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a prophecy, and I forget I forget the chief um, that said it was that that when the black snake was going to come down and destroy and kind of pollute the waters, then you knew kind of at that, that it would be kind of the end of times. And that's basically the oil and the pipelines that came down 
and they always put them on reservations. They're not going to put them um, in populated cities um, because they can just go, well, it was going to up there. It was going through burial grounds and things. And and so we're just, we're very um, protective and we can see the same patterns that go have gone on through um, centuries and millennia that it's okay to keep um, taking things that were native. I mean, it's, it's a genocide basically Um, the largest genocide ever 12 million natives have been killed or lost through all this. So to me as a, as a native growing up, um, I feel like that we honor our ancestors and we continue on um, our traditions and our cultural, although they have a term up in Canada, it's called white passing, um, because we don't have the features anymore. But that doesn't mean that our families died off. We're still here. We're still fighting. So they, everything that they did wasn't for naught. And um, that's why still very proud and our ancestors um, live on and our, our nations and our tribes and, and our native communities. And it's just not Wyandotte. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still here. And they didn't, they didn't kill us off. And I know some people would think, oh, you know, that was so long ago, get over it. And I've heard that too. And it's, it's like, no, I'm not going to get over it. We're still, we're still connected. We still have the stories. We still carry on the traditions and the ceremonies and, and the language. And we learn um, there's people cause it's, we don't want those things to die off. Um, so it, it takes a lot of work and dedication to, to keep those things going. Um, but we do, we have, um, in Oklahoma and Anderton, um, people up in Wendake. I mean, we still, we're doing, um, a lot right now, especially teaching one another, um, more of the language. Um, we practice the ceremonies. Um, so I'll get, I'll get into that when you, um, I think you've got a question about that later on. Um, we can talk about it now if you like, actually, yeah, I was kind of wondering, um, sort of idly considering because you mentioned, you know, you had the mission up in, uh, Ohio and, um, from what I've read, a lot of people, but not everyone at the time converted to uh, Methodism or no, I didn't say that right. Met- Methodist. Yes. yes. And, um, and so, so what I, from what I've read, when you were coming down to Kansas city, like there were still some who followed, um, more traditional, um, non-Christian religious practices. So I was, um, sort of curious if there is a resurgence of that today, or if you just, you sort of just keep it like, this is our tradition. Not that I 
believe it? Like, I believe God. Is this making sense? Yes. Um, we, we've all branched out into whatever faith that, you know, that we choose. We refer to God as the creator, which is something that, that in the creeds Christians do, um, the creator of heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. Well, our one thing that, that natives have always, um, we always practice and believe is that we are basically just here on the earth and, and, um, barring, <laughs> you could say, um, this earth, the, the dirt, um, you need to be respectful because it gives you, it was here for the, by the creator and it gives you, um, life for the plants and nutrients so that, that you can eat. You've got, um, the water and you've got grandmother moon, um, all of these things were um, given by the creator. And when it's a, in like 1820, um, there was a gentleman named John Stewart. And he was a black man. And he came across, um, I think from Virginia. Well, he, he made his way up into Ohio and he, from one, one story that I heard, he was like, he wasn't a slave. He was, um, from the, the Caribbean or something, but he, he came across and he ended up by Ohio and he ended up, um, by a stream, very sick. And he had this, this vision where God came and told him that he was going to, he need go and create this mission um, and convert basically the native Americans, which isn't, which wasn't um, the first time because when the Jesuits and the French came up in Canada, their thing was to come and convert the natives. Everybody wanted to convert these heathen people. Right. Um, but, to me, if you look at it, our, our, you want to say our religions, our beliefs kind of paralleled each other. Um, so it's just a different way. We were, we were here to, um, for the betterment, um, we gave the creator all, all the thanks, um, for the gifts of, um, crops and all these other things. I mean, it's similar to what um, the Christians, but they came and they wanted to convert and it was, it was bad. Just like the, um, I know I'm kind of jumping around. No, it's Just okay. like the um, Indian boarding schools, those were run by um, Catholics, religion, and they were, it was horrible. Horrible. The abuse and the things that they did. So things that they did in the name of religion. Um, so in Ohio, when John Stewart came, he made a mission. He um, created the mission. And the mission church is still up there. It's it's beautiful and quaint. Just a, kind of like a one-room schoolhouse, but it's a, it's a church. 
and they still hold service to this day. And, um, but yes, a lot of people were converted and, and there were some that didn't, they still believed in their traditional, um, beliefs. So there were a lot that were converted to Methodist. There were people that probably kept their, um, Catholicism that they had converted through, you know, through generations. I guess what I was really curious about was, um, if there are still members of your nation who are like, we've never converted, we have always maintained these traditional beliefs. No, uh -uh, no, not necessarily. I mean, there's people that still have traditional beliefs, but, um, not in the sense that you're that you're saying all of that was kind of um but there are still people that i guess you'd say that have a strong connection um not necessarily through um christian ways but their beliefs are more based into um the creator and um that is that is their belief system so, yes, I guess in a way you'd say that. And that's like, that's great. I was just, you know, kind of wondering, I guess, like if that played out over the course of your history um, and into the modern day, if it created a sense of tension or not. No. Um, but as you said, you've, like you've maintained a connection with your past, with your history and your traditional beliefs and cultural practices. So whether you believe it or not, isn't even important really. Yeah. We, um, part of who we are is, um, practicing our culture, our ceremony. So in that regard, that doesn't mean you have to, to give up or not believe in your Christian faith or whatever faith that you have. Um, because they're just, you're always given reverence to the creator and the things that he is giving you, but it's just more of the, of, of the earthly um, things that you're giving thanks for. Um, we have a um, different celebrations or different ceremonies. One of which comes around, we, pro we get together around Labor Day and we celebrate what's called green corn and green corn is basically our Thanksgiving because um, at the end of the the season with the crops, um, you give thanks. You give thanks when you plant the seeds and ask for. Um, you give thanks for the dirt and the nutrients and and the the um, growth of the crops that are going to be able to feed um, feed your people. Um, at the end, they would also have a ceremony like we do in September of giving thanks, um, just similarly as as the the whites would have given um, at the end of the harvest. Um, there's other ceremonies um, and feasts that we have. We've got the Blackberry Feast, and that's um, the feast where we honor Grandmother Moon and women. So 
there's a strawberry um, festival or feast. And we remember um, those that have gone before. Um, it's important to know the strawberries, we always said the way they would say is when you passed, you walked amongst the strawberries. Well, oh, pretty in Wyandotte um, City at the time, well, we have Strawberry Hill. That's kind of where that came from. And there were oh, is there really? strawberries huh. uh-huh, all the way up to there. Um, but it's, it's those traditions and cultural practices. We have, we have social dances and those are things that, that they've had um, way back. You would get together and you would have, it wasn't a powwow. Powwows are more contemporary um, and they're more, a lot of powwows are competitions and things like that. A social dance is just where you get together. Um, they have people, men normally that have the, the rattle or the drum and they um, sing and there's different kind of dances and things like that. And you dance at a lot of these um, festivals. Um, they have a maple festival when they tap the trees for the sap. They give thanks for that because that gave nutrients. So everything is more earthly um, connected more so. Yeah. Well, let's swing back around to Kansas. So um, we've made it through the Civil War somehow, and now what's going on? Um, there was a point where there was a bit of division where government came and offered, okay, um, we can offer you land down in Oklahoma. So here we go again if you want to move. And um, so there was a group, um, I think like 200 that went down to Oklahoma. Well, of course, when they got there, there's no land. Um, So the Seneca Cayuga took them in and um, it was very hard because, you know, at the time you had, um, Confederate monies and things like that. Well, that was worth nothing after the Civil War. There was a lot of hardship down there. Mm -hmm. And um, up here, you know, people were losing their land um, because here you've got, it's funny because up here, you, they would put you into categories. If you were an orphan or basically incompetent, um, they would have these different categories. And if you would fit into there, then somebody could come in and kind of be your guardian over the land. And they would get like compensated, so to speak, for um, taking care of, of you. And I know that sounds, that's probably, I didn't word all that correctly, but 
um, they would, you know, or insane. They would just, they would label you. So people, there was Abelard Guthrie and there were other people that would come in and say, okay, you've got, how many people do you have that you're um, supposedly um, overseeing their land? Well, then they'd get payment for it. So it was kind of a, uh, it's really kind of horrible. It sounds horrible, there was, yeah. It, there, there was, there wasn't a lot of people that had, um, that were generally um, taking care of people, um, and especially women, because women couldn't own their land and they become a widow. Mm-hmm. Well, you could see where a lot of that was taken advantage of, and then there were other people that really um, took it to heart and you know, oversaw or took care of the people um, like they were supposed to. So that would happen. People, it was extremely tough times back then. I mean, even if you had different times when you had the economy collapse, so people would lose everything. Um, So it wasn't, I think at one time, some of the people from Oklahoma came back up. It's like, we can't help you. I mean, they had nothing. They were. Yeah, nobody was, had anything. Yeah, war war yeah. So the people, the people down in Oklahoma, um, some would say we should have followed. Well, we didn't want to leave our dead. And we, I mean, that is something that is so close to our heart now. That's why the Huron Cemetery, we'll call it that, but it's now the Wyandotte National Burial Ground, um, was so important for us to fight for because that's where our ancestors are. And um, it's just important to us. People just didn't, didn't die. They, you know, they're... They went on to the creator. It was our responsibility to be sure and take care of and be there with them and take care of their their graves. Just like in Ohio, when we left, that was um, in the sermon, that was huge. Who's going to put leaves on the and protect the um, graves in the winter and all this? You still honored your ancestors. Um, there's also sayings. I think with other um, nations as well, other tribes, where seven generations before you, people made decisions and what happened and decisions that were made will affect the next seven generations. So what we do today... um, however we live our lives, make decisions, um, everything that we do, we need to honor because it affects the next seven generations to come. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's a lot how we, you know, live our lives and we, and we think of things. We, you can't just make rash decisions. You really just, you really are responsible for, 
the present here and now taking care of each other, um, honoring our culture and who we are and making sure um, when we make decisions, what we do, that it's going to honor and help the people seven generations down the road. I got to be honest, I don't think the majority of the people of the world have that that worldview. And no, it's more. It's beautiful. It's more, yeah, it's more. And it just for me, I can only speak for me, but it's now um, people think more about themselves and it just encircles. They don't think about what happens um, in the future. They really don't think they think that they're made um, self-made, that people before them and the sacrifices and the decisions that they made carry on through generations. Um, but that is just, um, I think in a lot of na- native cultures, um, that thought and those um, beliefs are different. Like you said, do things keep carrying on from before? Um, I think in a lot of tribes, that's what's different. Mm-hmm. But yeah, let's definitely move on to the burial ground. Before we do that, I have a quick question. Is there a, another burial ground um, like similar to the one in Kansas? Is there one in Ohio or in Canada? Yes. Um, Ohio, Canada, of course, they have several. Um, one of our, I talked about different history and sharing um, recently, I learned that across the river from Detroit, um, where the um, Anderson Reserve was, um, like in the eighteen hundred, early eighteen hundreds, seventeen hundreds, when the a lot of the Canadian portions of Wyandotte, um, they settled on there before they moved them off of that reservation. Mm -hmm. Um, There are, they always had four cemeteries um, for each direction, like of the area. You had one north, south, east, and west, um, which I thought was very interesting. Um, Yes, there there are, of course, their burial grounds in Anderton. At um, Upper Sandusky, where the mission church is, um, there's a cemetery around that where um, they were buried their dead. And there's, a, you know, people that we know of, names, those type of things um, that were important, that were more prevalent in society back then that you could go and, and recognize. And there's all kinds of, um, there's people buried there. There's also a separate um burial where people that didn't believe the Christian way. So I guess in a way, yeah, they, they did separate them out. Um, and they had, um, the Christian burials around the Methodist mission, um, here in Kansas, of course you have the Wyandotte national burial ground, which is next to, um, the Kansas city, Kansas, public library Mm -hmm. and that was the the one that was 
started in 1843 when they could finally bring um, their dead across. Um, and then story says there, there are a few Wyandotte that are buried in the, um, in the old black cemetery that's down um, in Quindaro, down the path when I said about, talked about the brewery and up behind there was a cemetery and people are still buried there today. It's beautiful. It's up on very high up on a hill and um, it's one of the oldest. And they, they say that there, because there were some Wyandots that stayed behind in Quindaro and there's talk of, you know, intermarriage and things like that. Um, when the original town dispersed. Um, but the Huron Cemetery has been something that um, has has been in, I would say, conflict in the middle of um, disputes because it's, it's a, would be a very valuable, commercial piece of property mm -hmm. and we were you know you know it's just Indians it's it wasn't anybody you could um people for over 150 years have tried to come in and dig up the graves um so that they could widen the street they wanted to um put a um like a tunnel to cut through for a road. There's all kinds of different things that have happened where people have tried and tried to um, purchase that property. Well, when they put in 7th Street and Minnesota, I mean, there's pictures where they they would dig out um, graves and, and dump them in a wagon. Mm -hmm. And take them and dump them on the side of the Missouri river. Um, so that is where um, you've heard of Lida Connolly. Yes. Um, she had Lida, Eliza, Helena, and Sarah. There were four sisters. Um, Sarah died early in life, but the three sisters, they dedicated their lives to that cemetery and to protect it um, because that's where their, their parents were buried. So you hear about, about them and their, their story and dedication um, was that's where the Wyandots and the story um, connect a lot with the cemetery I um, I love this story, especially um, Lida's part, and she ends up, you know, going putting herself through law school and talking to the Supreme Court. But I was yes. really surprised when I was reading some of the details that the um, the Oklahoma Nation was like, "Yeah, let's sell the land," and they're really pushing for it. But what you were talking about with how much they needed the money that makes a little bit more sense. Well, oh, Oklahoma um, 
is is just one of the people along the way that saw monetary value in it. Mm-hmm. And to to us and to Lida, it was where our dead were buried. It was where um, our families were. So, like you said, Lida, she made a decision to put herself through law school. Her sister Helena, they would they would take a, a rowboat or canoe and paddle up to what is Park University. That was a long way. And she put herself through through law school. I want to say she was the first Native um, American woman with the, the bar in Kansas. But she did end up. That's what I read. Making her um, her petitions and everything to protect that cemetery, it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Well, because she was a woman, she couldn't argue before the Supreme Court, so she had to get um, attorneys in Washington D.C. to come in and argue her case in front of the Supreme Court. Well, she didn't. She didn't win. Um, the case to protect the cemetery. However, they did rule um, without prejudice, which meant that it was kind of open-ended that they could come back at another time and kind of continue the argument, so to speak, to try to protect it. Well, there were so many times through um, the years that even the state of Kansas Yes, you can sell it. No, you can't. You know, back and forth, back and forth. Well, in the early 1900s, even the sisters went up and they built a, um, like a shed on cemetery land, just right there by where their family, their mother and father was buried. And they took residence in that shed for two years and they had a shotgun, which I've heard never really had any bullets in it. <laughs> but they would really, um, they were always there. One of the sisters were always there. And if construction workers or anybody came and tried to disturb any, um, they challenged them. They would jump down in the hole and, 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 um, protect that land and you're not going to do this. Well, Helena, the sister was a, um, she would always tell him to put a curse on him if they, um, and even on our tombstone, um, it says, cursed be the villain that molests these graves. So people really got um, afraid, <laughs> afraid of Helena because like the story, um, there are different stories that there was one um, time when the um, I said the the mayor or somebody was was there, and so she put a curse on like his goldfish or something was going to die, and he went home and it it was dead, and the other people, <laughs> you know, there. So she is kind of it's kind of funny the different things that. Um, she would she would put a curse on one day she loved animals 
one lady um, in particular wasn't kind to her her dog, and she told her that she didn't um, if she didn't stop, she would die on this day, and she did. Um, so it just kind of gives you pause to think about. Um, it was Helena lived kind of a um, a different life and beliefs, and she really tried to protect um, to protect that cemetery by any means. There was um, a gen- a gentleman that came up, Tom Keffer, I believe his name was, from Oklahoma, and he was doing restoration to the stones. This is just a few years back. Um, because a lot of the stones have been vandalized, the headstones, um, and destroyed. And yeah, what did you say his, his name was? I think his name was Tom. I think his name is Tom Keffer, um, or Keffer. And so he came up and doing a beautiful job of trying to reset stones and lift them up and and just um, take care and try to preserve them for for longer. Well, he got to Helena's and it was it was something in the back and he would always go in and it was just him and he used pulley systems. He used um, all kinds of things that he, uh, tools that he had to try to um, lift up the headstones and, and level them and all this, and it's worked. When he got to Helena, there was nothing he could do. He tried um, his truck, his pulley systems, all these different things um, to lift that stone. And eight hours later, he's still um, working on it. And finally, he said, Helena, I'm not here to, to hurt or damage or anything. The cemetery, I'm here to help. And that stone popped up. <laughs> and I I believe it. He was, you could tell in his face. So um, it's, it's kind of funny, but she is kind of the protector up there. Mm-hmm. Um, if any um, people would walk through, they, they always challenged him. And um, our chief, um, Judy Manthe, her, her father um, was said to have, gone through the cemetery or waiting kind of I believe like it's a young boy he was waiting on his father and he went up through the cemetery and Lyda and Helena kind of stopped him you know what's your business here who are you and um, he told him I'm here to see my baby brothers buried here and they just really kind of embraced him and sat and taught him about his heritage um you know, gave him candy. It's just that people, there were people there that were, you couldn't trust that were, were there to harm yeah, and to destroy. One thing, and it's, it's really sad. Lida did all this, dedicated her entire life um, to the pres- preservation and protection of the cemetery. She um, died she came, she came home in the evening, walking um, home from the library, and a man jumped out from 
behind the bushes and hit her in the back of her head with a brick, stole her purse to get 20 cents, and she died the next day. And to think all of that her whole life, everything that was she was dedicated for and the good that she did, and to to die like that was just horrible. And they never, you know, they never caught him or anything, but it just, it's just kind of a sad ending to such a great life. It is. It's Um, so unjust. I mean, that would be a terrible way for anyone to die. But like you said, after she has dedicated her life to this, you would think that she would have deserved or earned to die peacefully in her sleep or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's um, a lot of times when we give talks or presentations, I mean, we always try to honor the Connolly sisters and everything um, that they have done because it was, it was big. It wasn't until um, very late in 1990s, like 1995 or something that it was finally settled between well, um, that late. I thought I had read that it was the 70s or 80s. Or is that when she died? Because I know it was after her. Uh, Helena, I mean, um, um, Lida died, I don't know if it was a late, it was in the 40s or something. I don't, I don't think it was in the 1950s. Um, Helena died like in the later 1950s okay which is to me that's not that long ago I guess if you figure depending on how old you are (laughs) it doesn't seem that that far away no it's really not Mm -hmm. so you said uh, sorry I interrupted you you were saying that in the 1990s in the 1990s is when the the um disputes and everything kind of got laid to rest about the cemetery and it was protected um, from any more um, any more it was it was safe it was insecure it would be protected it not you know it's not going to be fussing about is it going to be sold if not um, so there was that um, finally that, understanding and unification again between Oklahoma and Kansas. And now actually the it's a historical landmark that happened a few years ago and um, Oklahoma is taking care of um, the cemetery and the maintenance and things like that, which is wonderful um, that they're doing it. but their casino is right next door um, that Um, The casino, 7th Street Casino, is the, it says Wyandotte Nation. It's the Wyandotte Nation, which is, um, they also formerly the Wyandotte Nation of Oklahoma. So they're right there and they can oversee and take care of the cemetery. Oklahoma is um, also the only one of us in the United States that's federally recognized. Yeah, so that would be why they get to have the casino, but do you know, can you explain why that is? Well, they went through and got their federal recognition, and I think it finally came through in the 1970s. So 
they went through the the entire process. So there's different, um, a lot of different benefits and things that you get um, if you're federally recognized. Um, like we're we are not we're not federally recognized, although. Um, there's petition and applications and things that are still sitting out there um, with the BIA. Um, it just it just so happens that that we're not. Anderton is not either, although they're going for their recognition um, also. The um, the talk that you gave that I went to back in February when you were talking about this. Um, the thing that I love the most and that has stuck with me is you're like, no, I don't need it. I know who I am. I know who, yes. And and I'm just speaking for myself. Um, I mean, if I'm not speaking for anyone else in the, in the nation, I'm just speaking for myself that um, the federal recognition, I don't personally, I don't need somebody to tell me who I am. And just because they um, took our citizenship away, um, that doesn't that doesn't mean they took away um, my native roots, my native heritage, and and I am I am native, so I don't need. Um, this sounds harsh. I don't need the white man to come back and tell me um, that I'm no longer. Native, they can't take that away, and they can't come back and say, "Okay, well, I'll give you that back." I'll say you're um, you're recognized. You know, I don't I don't need that. I don't need um, that to make me whole. Um, if that comes through, um, of course, as a tribe, we would be get benefits and and things like that. But our purpose as the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas is really to educate people, to share our culture um, and who we are um, and how we got here and our participation with um, the community, with um, the civic responsibilities that we're still here. We're still participating. Um, you know, we just didn't, we weren't just founders of this um, county. We're still here. And that's really um, our purpose is to go out to serve the community, to serve our people, to teach, um, and to keep sharing who we are, that we're still here honor our ancestors, um, honor those that come after us. We're really a people of service. Um, so as far as getting federal recognition, it would be nice because our children may have um, access to education easier when they go to, to um, college or university. Um there is um, a piece for healthcare if people should need. But beyond that, we don't have the infrastructure um, to do any kind of um, 
economic development, those kind of things. Like I say, we're more into the um, sharing who Wyandotte, what it means to be Wyandotte. How can Wyandots help the community, help the city? We're very active with Quindaro to this day um, as far as trying to be stakeholders and trying to protect um, the old Quindaro town site or township. Um, a few years back, we've been, we worked um, with national parks to try to, to try to protect um, Quindaro. That would be cool. Did anything come of that? Um, it kind of stalled out. Um, I think that there are still some people, there's a few, there's a, there's a small, um, I, I don't know if you'd call it a task force that's working with um, the city, the unified government to try to see what we can do. But um, like the, in the, back in the, say in the 1980s, maybe early, early nineties, there was a um, company like a, um, waste management Mm -hmm. that was going to come in and they were, they wanted to put a dump down there in the old township. And there was a fight um, to protect that. And that's where the old, um, the concerned citizens of Quindaro came in and um, Jesse Hope there at the um, museum and led the charge to try to say, no, you you can't do that. That's sacred ground. Well, before they could um, they could do it, one last step was that they had to have an archaeologist come in and make sure that there wasn't anything there. Well, he did. He found um, he found a lot of artifacts and things. So that shut down the whole thing. Um, thank goodness. So that shut it down and kind of preserved that area. Mm-hmm. But the big portion of that area, if you're looking down from the overlook, everything basically to the left of that path is owned by Western University, which was the first um, black university west of the Mississippi mm-hmm. at one time. And um, everything to generally speaking, everything to the right is unified government. So um, that's where there's all kind of stakeholders, Wyandotte, other people are trying to see if they can um, protect that and share it with the public, interpretive trails, all these things. So that's still kind of going on in the background, I think. Okay. Um, but yes, we're, we're still very active um with the community and really? things like I'm on, I'm on the board of the Oquindero um, museum that is one building that um desperately needs help to try to get a new roof and you know it's been it's had a lot of um been through a lot and had damage to the building but the history and things that were shared there um, 
they hope to be able to um, revive and, and refurbish so that that museum can keep going. And then I mentioned Luther Smith. He's got his museum of the Underground Railroad. The sad thing is over there, um, they don't teach anything in, in their schools about Quindaro. And here you are, it's, it's right there. You're living in it. And it's sad that they don't, they don't teach um, their, their own history to the kids. That's why one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because um, I didn't grow up in KCK or KCMO, but I grew up in nearby Leavenworth. We didn't learn any kind of regional or local history. Yeah, it's like when I said the seven generations before, why can't you learn the history? That's who you are and how you became um, the person you are today is because of of those before you. And it just seems like it's such a disposable society that it's like, hurry up, get that done. And, you know, they just, people think of the here and now, mm-hmm. um, but it's so important of where you came and where you're going to go. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Well, we've been talking for almost two hours. I'm sure I wore you out. Do you have anything else that you want to tell us about? If not, then we will sign off. It doesn't even feel like two hours. <laughs> I know, it went fast. <laughs> I'm sorry, I sometimes I tend to ramble on and No, no, I loved it. Um no, I just I appreciate that you allowing us to tell our story. Um that's something that's very important instead of having people tell our story. We're grateful for invitations to be able to present, to talk, um, and to share who we are. And um, we're very um, active in in the community of um, Kansas City, Kansas. We're active um, in sharing between all the bands of the Confederacy. We get together. I mean, we we were. Last time, all f- four of us in the Confederacy were together was back in 1650 when we split. But to this day, we have connections and talk with people up in Canada, Anderton, Oklahoma. We have friends. We share. Um, we share our culture days. We share our um, celebrations. We just. We have women's groups. And so it might have been for 400 years, we're still together, even though we're separated by land. And that's what's really cool. And Canada is also recognizes um, all of us. We get together for different things up there. And um, Oh, yeah. So, I didn't even think about that earlier. So Canada has its own issues with their First Nations uh, is the Wyandotte Nation in Canada recognized by the Canadian government? Yes. Yes. Okay. They are. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any upcoming events or uh, maybe another talk that we can uh, go ahead and let the listeners know about? Um, there's there's different ones that were I was invited 
um, to a cultural days at one of the elementary schools to share. There's always, there's always something, um, going on. Like the ethnic festival is going to be coming up and, um, at the Kansas City, Kansas Community College mm. this year, I think they're going to hold it out at, um, by sporting KC somewhere out and through there. So we're okay. out at the speedway, something that's going to be outdoors and, and a lot larger. We participate in that along with, I don't know how many other groups. Um, I can't think of anything right now, but we give talks, you know, at the library to different, to different groups. Um, if anyone is out there and they'd like us to come and, and share, um, we'd be happy to do so. Um, we have a website, wyandot.org, and that has a lot of information. And we've just kind of revitalized it, so we have a lot to still upload. But it gives a lot of good history out there. And we spell our name, W-Y. A N D O T. It only has one T. Um, As opposed to Wyandotte County, which is two T's and an E. Yeah. And that's how Oklahoma also spells theirs two T's and an E. What um, I heard once, it's like one way is like the French spelling, one way is more of the English spelling. Mm-hmm. I don't know which is which. That makes sense. Uh, we kept ours um, as Wyandotte and, and Anderton. And further north, there's just one T. Um, when we got here, we were the Wyandotte tribe of Indians, and we just kept that. Um, we were incorporated in 1957, I believe, as the Wyandotte Nation of Kansas formally. And I believe o- Oklahoma was 1937, maybe. Um, so... There was one other thing I can't think. I can't think. Oh, and um, in like 1867 is kind of when this the split came, um, where they came back and said, "Hey, um, do you want to be citizens or not?" Um, maybe 67 was too far. Maybe it was 61. All these dates run together. Mm-hmm. Um, but here. Um, they had a meeting and they gave people two hours. Well, back then, where are you going to go in two hours and um, in the 1800s and try to tell somebody, hey, you need to come and say, did you want to be citizens or not? Um, and so a lot of people were written down as citizens, like my family, and they they didn't want that. They wrote a letter and said, we didn't ask for that. We don't want to become citizens. And and they were, and that's kind of where the split came between Kansas and Oklahoma is because they said, well, people in Kansas didn't want to become citizens. They wanted to stay citizens. Um, so that's kind of where the, the split also came from between Kansas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's taken a very long time. Um, there's a lot of healing between the the cemetery issues and the fights and everything that came the kind of the tug of war with that. But 
Oklahoma and Kansas are very much um, embracing each other. And um, we are grateful that um, Wyandotte Nation is taking care of the, the cemetery. But we get together um, and see each other a lot. Some of um, us see, see each other a lot on Zooms. I mean, we're friends. We're um, through all of our nations. And that's what speaks volumes. It doesn't matter the distance. Um that we're here, we all teach one another, we share, we celebrate. And so I, I love that for you. I appreciate you giving us the time. And I hope I didn't ramble back and forth. <laughs> no, this one is amazing. I appreciate you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm sure that the listeners will enjoy it. If not, then I don't know. They're not very good listeners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as we say in our language, tijame, which means thank you. And um, I will be here if you need anything further. Thank you so much. You have a great day. All right. Bye, y'all. Bye-bye. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed speaking with Chief Libby. So... You know, going back real quick to the converse, the part of the conversation where we were talking about religious beliefs. You know, there's there seems, I could be wrong here, it seems like there's been like a resurgence of paganism, right? And so I was like, well, is there a similar resurgence of traditional tribal beliefs and religion? Um, but, you know, from her answer, I, I'm like, it's a moot point. You know, my question isn't even a question because... It's not a either or. It's not a zero sum game. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like it doesn't matter if Native Americans follow traditional tribal beliefs and, like, in their heart, they're like, "This is, you know, what I I base my idea of of divinity on," versus Christianity or Buddhism or atheism. Like, none of that matters. What matters is preserving the history and the knowledge of these beliefs and maintaining a just a connection to them and a connection to their ancestors so it's the same reason why protecting the cemetery is so important because they have such a deep connection to their ancestors and to the land to the earth and i think that's rather beautiful Anyway, yeah, I hope you love that. I hope you'll consider becoming a financial supporter of the show if you are able to do so. There are a couple ways to do so. You can subscribe to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash homegrownkc, or redcircle.com slash homegrownkc. You can also give one-time donations at Red Circle or at Kofi, that's ko-fi.com slash homegrownkc. You can give as little or as much as you want. If you become a, a patron supporter, then you get three things. One, you get an item from the val- the uh, merchandise store valued at $5 or less. You get a shout-out on each show. So thank you, Bjorn and Joan, for your continued support. And you get access to exclusive bonus content, such as this episode. However, as I said at the beginning of this episode, everyone is getting to listen to this my patron supporters just got t- to listen to it earlier than everyone else. 
if you just donate then you don't get the bonus content and you don't get an item from the merchandise store but you will get a shout out and every donation on Kofi, 1% will automatically go to fight climate change. If you can't support me monetarily, which is totally cool, I get it, you can still support me by uh, following the show, liking, subscribing to Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Tumblr, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, and especially make sure you rate and review me on either Apple Podcasts or Facebook or wherever it is that you listen to the show. You can visit my website for additional information. That's homegrownkc.wordpress.com. I am still a little bit behind, but there is a lot of new content on there if you haven't been on in a while. And you can subscribe to my newsletter on my website. You'll get an email from me about once a month saying, here's what's going on with the show. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or episode suggestions, you can email me at homegrownkcpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on any of the social networks. For merchandise, go to Zazzle, that's Z-A-Z-Z-L-E dot com slash store slash homegrown underscore KC underscore store. Thank you goes out to my talented sister-in-law, Sarah McCombs, for the creation of my logo. To the dear missus for the use of their song Kansas City as the intro and outro music of the show. To local libraries, which enable me to gather my research. And a special thank you to you all of you listeners and to Chief Libby. Cheers, y'all. Seem to get you off my mind